this morning. We have been looking at some of the different types of hearts in the Bible. This morning we're going to talk about a broken and a contrite heart versus a hard heart. We're going to use the insert in your bulletin if you want to follow along on the notes there. A little bit more than what we could get on the back of the bulletin, so we put the insert in there for this morning. A broken and a contrite heart versus a hard heart. You know, I think one of the reasons why people do not come to the Lord and get saved is because we're not willing to have that broken and contrite heart. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to acknowledge to God that we're sinners. And all of us know that in order to be saved, we have to acknowledge we're a sinner. Amen? And we're all sinners. Some are still sinners. Some are sinners saved by grace. But we're all just sinners. We sang that song, only a sinner saved by grace. I'm glad that I can say only a sinner, but I'm glad I can add the next phrase, saved by grace. Amen? I hope you can too. A person that has a broken and a contrite heart is one that will maintain continual fellowship with the Lord. And I hope that's the goal of all of us, to have that continual fellowship with the Lord. You know, God doesn't want our Christian life to just be something that we put on on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night when we come to church. He wants us to have fellowship with Him every day and really 24 hours a day. Say, well, I've got to sleep sometime, preacher. Well, if you meditate on the Word of God before you go to sleep, your mind will be meditating on it through the night, sometimes without you even realizing it. But to have that continual fellowship, Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The Lord is nigh, the Lord is near. He's close to those, he says, that have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. The fellowship that God has with a broken and a contrite heart is further defined for us in the other verse that we read this morning, Isaiah 57, verse 15. It says, For thus saith the high and lofty one, that's talking about God, that inhabiteth eternity. You ever think, stop and think, Jesus, God? God's the only eternal being that has ever existed. He's the only one that has eternity past. All of us are going to live for eternity in the future, somewhere, heaven or hell. For eternity, but God's the only one who has an eternal past. He's the only eternal being. So he says, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Think about that. God says, I dwell in a high and holy place. It's where God is now. Amen. High and holy place. But then he says, and with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. God says if we have a contrite and humble spirit, he dwells with us. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That the one who dwells in the high and lofty place dwells in me and with me. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Let me look at a couple of things this morning. First of all, notice with me the definition of a broken and a contrite heart. 
What does it mean to have a broken and a contrite heart? The Greek word for broken is suntrabo, and it literally means to rub together, to rub things together as iron rubbing against iron. Proverbs talks about that in Proverbs 27, 17. It says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. A broken heart involves the deep grief and anguish that comes with the awareness of God's holiness and man's sinfulness. You see, when we see and when we're aware of God's holiness, it helps us to understand a little bit more our sinfulness. Remember Isaiah in chapter 6, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah was related to King Uzziah and he looked up to him But God had to move King Uzziah out of the way, and after he died, Isaiah said, then I saw the Lord. It's interesting, sometimes in our lives, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but sometimes in our life, God has to remove people and things that block us from seeing God and following Him. And when God moves them out of the way, then we see the Lord like He wants us to see them. The word broken literally means to shatter in pieces. It's the idea of Mary when she broke the alabaster box. It released the fragrance of the perfume that filled all of the room and went to all of those that were in the house. Brokenness relates to removing the chains around a person's heart. Isaiah 58 puts it this way in verse 6. It says, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? The fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of the wicked. There's four statements that are there in your notes I'll give to you real quickly. First of all, contrite, the contrite heart, comes from the Greek word daka. It means to be bruised, to be humbled, to be broken in spirit and cast down. A contrite heart, as I said already, is a humble heart. It is sorrowful and remorseful over the condition and the consequences of sin. Are we really sorrowful? Are we really remorseful over the condition and the consequences of our sin? I wonder how broken we are. You know, we tend to think, oh, it's just a little thing. It's not a big sin. It's just a little thing. It's no big deal. That's why we get so far away from God. That's why we need revival. And we're preparing our hearts and getting ready for a revival meeting next week. But an evangelist doesn't bring a revival in his pocket. And you don't just schedule a revival. Revival comes from the Lord. And the word revive, it's revive. It's kind of like giving back life. You, You can't revive something that's dead. We're talking about saved people who know the Lord and God revives us. He revitalizes our life. He renews the life that we have. And he does that when we begin to admit and acknowledge the sinfulness and the wickedness of our lives. And then notice with me the types of a broken and contrite heart. There are two particular areas that we should have a broken and a contrite heart for. First of all, for our personal sins. We should have a contrite and broken heart over my sin. As believers, we're to regularly examine the condition of our heart. 
We're to keep short accounts with the Lord. We ought to spend some time every day as we begin the day asking the Lord, is there anything in my life I need to deal with? As we close the day, Lord, is there anything today that I need to confess and make right? And when we confess our sin, it's not just a matter of saying, Lord, if I've done anything wrong today, forgive me. That's not really confession. To confess means to see our sin like God sees it. To see it like God's. How does God see my sin? Songwriter put it this way. He said, where's the hammer that drove the nails? Where's the spear that pierced his side? Then it says this, if you're not serving him, it's in your hands. You see, when we see sin like God sees it, we see our sin as the hammer that's driving the nails through the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was for my sin, it was for your sin, that he died on the cross and paid our sin debt. And he wants us to be broken and contrite over our personal sins, to repent over our sins, to confess them and turn from them. In Matthew 15, verse 18, he says, Those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Mark 7, 21 says, Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. One verse says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What we say, what we do, it comes from the heart. It's that hard heart that God wants to break down and cause us to have a broken and a contrite heart. If we fail to repent over our sin, we'll be like those that are spoken of in Isaiah chapter 29 in verse 13. It says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians, none of us here today would be in that category, but I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians who profess to be Christians. Oh, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. But God says our heart's far from Him. We're not really in love with the Lord. We're not really walking with God. We do our religious duty and go to church on Sunday morning, and we kind of check off the box, and now we're ready for whatever else we need to do through the week. God's looking for some people that their heart is a heart for God. So we're to be broken over our own personal sins. And then we should be broken for the sins of others. When we see others fail, we ought not to rejoice in it. Amen. It ought to break our hearts. Our hearts should be broken over their sin. It is this brokenness that allows us to intercede, to pray, to communicate effectively with them. Ezekiel 13.22 says, With lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad. In other words, when we hear other people lying, it ought to make our hearts sad. When we see other people disobeying God, it ought to break our heart. Why? Because we love the Lord, and if they're not living for the Lord like they ought to, it breaks God's heart, and that ought to break my heart too. And I ought to have a burden for them. As we come to the revival next week, we ought to be already praying for people who, are, who we know are not right with God, praying that God will bring them, praying that they'll get right with God. Some that are lost, praying that they'll get saved. We pray for the sins of others. 
We should be broken about the sins of our nation. We ought to be broken about the abortion and the homosexuality and the drug abuse and all the transgender stuff and the pedophilia and the murder and on and on we could go. It ought to break our hearts to see the wickedness in our nation. To know that our nation, if it keeps going the way it is, God's going to turn its back on them. That ought to break our hearts. Do we really care? You know, it's so easy for us to get caught up in going to work and making a living and we, we, we buy our house and buy our cars and provide clothing and food and we do all, all those things that are part of everyday life and that's all there is to life. But that's all temporary. And one day all of that's going to be over. And in the scope of eternity... Here's yours and my life, this little space right here. And when we leave this world, we're going to have all eternity with the Lord if we're saved, in hell if we're not saved. Make this count for more than just right here and now. Live our life for the Lord, broken over our personal sins, broken over the sins of others around us. And then thirdly, what causes hardness of heart? What causes our hearts to get hardened? Hardness of heart is primarily caused by setting up idols in our heart. It's by allowing something to become between you and God. Let me give you a couple of verses to look at. If you, if you have your Bible there, look at Ezekiel chapter 14. And then we'll look at a verse in Ezekiel chapter 20. But Ezekiel chapter 14, notice what it says in verse number 3. Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 3. Ezekiel 14 verse 3 comes right after the book of Hezekiah. Then comes Ezekiel. No, a few of you were listening, okay. <laughs> All right. There's no Hezekiah in there, so don't look for it. Ezekiel chapter 14, look at verse number 3. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face, should I be in, inquired of at all by them? God says, they put idols up. Should they even talk to me? Should I be inquired of them? Why should they even ask me about things? Therefore, verse 4, speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet... I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are estranged from me through their idols. We become estranged from God. We become strangers. We become separated from God because of the idols in our heart. I don't think he's talking about statues. We've seen statues in other countries. We see a lot of statues in our country today. People have them up in their yards and around their houses and so forth. He's not, not talking about that kind of idol, though that is an idol. But he's talking about anything, the nation of Israel, anything that comes between them and God. Sometimes our work can become an idol. It becomes more important to us than God. Sometimes our children can become idols. Sometimes money can become idols. Sometimes our house, our car... Sports events. There's a lot of young people. Sports have become their idol. 
Television has become a lot of people's idol. Spend a whole lot more time bowing down to the TV than we do bowing on our knees and talking to God. You know, it's amazing to me how many young people video games and electronic games have become their God. I've talked to several people recently who one particular person, they just, I mean, they spend all night long playing on video games and stuff and they, they have a hard time going to work the next day because they've been up all night long and some people get caught up in all of the competition that's going on and, and all of that. I'm just saying if it comes between you and God, it's just like a statue that you've put up and you're bowing down to an idol. Some men get caught up with their hunting and their fishing. I heard about one preacher, he named his boat Visitation. When they'd call and ask, where's the preacher? They'd say, oh, he's out on Visitation, you know. He was out on the boat. <laughs> But if it is nothing wrong with the boat, but if it comes between me and God, amen, it's an idol. I don't know what it is in your life and in my life, but if we aren't careful, little things creep in and take the place of God in our life. They become more important to us than God. So then what are the consequences of a hard heart? Those who fail to have a broken heart but instead have a hard heart, the Bible says they store up wrath for the future. Listen to this verse in Romans 2, 5. It says, but after the hardness, an impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, when we allow our heart to get hard, we store up, you might say, judgment when we stand before God. Because one day every one of us are going to stand before God and give an account for our life. We'll give an account for how we spent this day and how we spent yesterday and how we spend tomorrow, our life. We've all been given the same number of hours today, haven't we? We've got the same number of minutes, the same number of seconds. How do we use them? Will we spend them for me? Some we have to, we got to eat, we got to fix meals, we got to do certain things. But am I spending any of that for God? You know, we spend the month of January usually here in our church studying stewardship and talking about stewardship, and primarily we focus on our finances. But I believe we ought to tithe on our time just like we do on our money. Amen? Do you give 10% of your time? So let me think, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You still got a long ways to go if you just go to three services a week. What are you doing with the rest of that 24-hour day? That means uh, 24, that would be two hours and four-tenths. So that would be 24 minutes, two hours and 24 minutes, something like that a day. Are we doing that each day? Are we giving God our time, our talents, our abilities? On and on we could go. So then how do we develop a broken and a contrite heart? I don't want to have a hard heart, amen? So if I want to have a broken and a contrite heart, how do I do that? First of all, consider a father's discipline. Consider a father's discipline. God compares his chastening in our life to that of a loving father. If we disobey God's laws, God will seek to bring us to repentance with wise discipline and loving discipline in our life. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a preacher. My dad believed in discipline. I 
Dad believed in bloodshed in the woodshed. He never shed any blood, but he used his belt. And we feared Dad's belt. Today, if my dad was living, I probably could have him charged with child abuse a few times. But you know what? I turned out halfway decent. It worked. <laughs> but we, we discipline our children. Amen? We have various ways that we do that. And in love, we want them to turn out right. We want them to live right. We want them to serve God. We discipline them to help them to do right. Just as a loving father disciplines his children, our heavenly father disciplines us. He works in our life. Deuteronomy 8 verse 5 says, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart, as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Hebrews 12.6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son in whom he receiveth. God chastens every son, every child of God. When we get out of fellowship with the Lord, when we disobey, God gives us some options. When we sin as believers, there's three C's that happen in our life. The first one is conviction. If you are saved, you cannot sin without the Holy Spirit of God convicting you. I don't know about you, but when I do something wrong, I get miserable. God convicts me. And that takes place every person that's saved. The Holy Spirit will convict. You don't always have to say, well, preacher, is it all right if I do that? If you do it, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. The second C is confession. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When the Holy Spirit of God convicts me, I've done something wrong, my response is to confess, to say, God, I've messed up, I am sorry, I should not have done that. Would you forgive me and help me not to do it again? I confess my sin to the Lord. The third C is, if I am convicted and I will not confess, then God has to chasten me. Then he chastens. Then God does something in my life. And he doesn't always chasten the same way. Those of you that have more than one child, you know that you, certain discipline works on some children and, and others don't. Some, some child, you may, you may spank them all day long and it, and it doesn't phase them a bit. But you may have another child that you just look at them harshly and, buddy, they jump to it. I mean, they're, they're, they snap to it. Different discipline works in different ways. I have a little bit, don't get mad at me or throw anything with me, but I have a little bit of concern about those who always use time out, and that's all they ever do for their children. You read Proverbs sometime and just study the word rod and how many times God talks about using the rod. Sometimes you have to have some, some discipline. There's some, there's some pain that goes along with disobedience. And in the life of the believer, sometimes God brings pain in our life to get us back into fellowship. Now, I'm glad God's long-suffering. He's not a God standing up there with a sledgehammer ready to clobber me every time I do wrong. He's a loving Heavenly Father. And if you love your children, how much more does He love us? He said, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Father which is in heaven give good things to His children? He loves us. But if we persist and won't confess, He will chasten us. He may use sickness. He may use a car accident. He may use a flat tire. He may use a financial reversal. 
He uses all different kinds of things. And every time those things happen in our life doesn't mean God's chastening us. There's other reasons why God does things like that in our life. Sometimes it's for the benefit of other people. It's so that others who are unsaved are watching your life and see how you respond to it and give glory to the Lord, and they're attracted to your Christianity. Sometimes it's to build character in your life. Sometimes, I was talking to somebody yesterday, sometimes it's just because we're human beings and we're under the curse of Adam when he fell in the garden. The Bible said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely, what? Die. And one day, unless the rapture takes place, every one of us are going to die. We're not going to get out of here alive. We're going to die. Why? Because of Adam's sin. That sin nature has been passed on to every one of us. Sin caused death and disease. And there's some things that we go through just because we're under the curse of Adam. But there are other times when it's because God is dealing with me and he's trying... You know if there's things in your life that God's been dealing with and you've been struggling against the Lord and not willing to do what God wants you to do, either to do, you're doing what he doesn't want or you're not doing what he does want you to do, and there's been some struggle going on, and sometimes God has to chasten us, doesn't he? Consider the discipline of a father. Our hearts should be responsive to God's discipline just like we would to a wise father. That means that we must recognize that God allows things to happen in our life in order to discipline us. Secondly, if I want to develop a broken and contrite heart, I need to look into the mirror of God's law. Look into the mirror of God's law. If we compare our behavior with the behavior of everybody else around us, we'll tend to think we're pretty good, won't we? Amen? But if we compare our behavior to the law of God, to the word of God, instead of becoming self-righteous, we become broken and contrite. James chapter 1 verse 25 says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We look into God's word. It's a mirror that lets me see myself and see my sin and see my failure, and then I do something about it. Most of you, when you got up this morning, you look in a mirror. First time you did, you thought, who in the world is that person looking back at me? And so you did something about it, didn't you? How many of you do not look right now like you did when you first got up this morning? Let me see. Okay, all right. God says spiritually we look into God's word and he shows us who we are and we do something about it. We get things right. We have a broken heart that I'm not where God wants me to be. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And I don't ever want to become satisfied with where I am. I don't want to become complacent thinking that I am all that I want to be. I want to keep growing and learning and becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, obey the promptings of God's Holy Spirit. Obey the promptings. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 8 says, is to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, listen and obey His promptings. Do what He's prompting you to do. 
His conviction will be experienced in our heart. 1 John 3, 26 says this. It says, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. And if we'll respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit with a broken and a contrite heart, then God will forgive us and God will be able to bless us again. However, if we resist His work, we will grieve the Holy Spirit of God and we will develop a hard heart. And that's what we don't want to have. The Holy Spirit will begin to convict us. He'll convict us for wrong thoughts. Simon in Acts chapter 8 and verse 27 said, Pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. And so we need to obey the promptings of God's Spirit. And then fourth, accept the reproach of enemies. Accept the reproach of enemies. One of the secrets of David's broken and contrite heart was his response to the reproach that was heaped upon him by many of his enemies. He testified of that in Psalm 69 and verse 20. He said, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. Many of David's adversaries and enemies that he faced were a result of his past sins in his life. When Shimei, if you remember the story, he followed along as David was was fleeing from Saul, and Shimei was cursing him and so forth. David recognized that God had commanded Shimei to curse him. And David trusted the Lord to take care of Shimei. He constantly reminded himself of the various things that were taking place in his life. He said in Psalm 109, 22, he said, I am poor and needy and my heart is wounded within me. The reproach of our enemy. Sometimes those who come against us are there because of our past failures. David had some enemies because of his sin with Bathsheba and because of his taking out Uriah. And along the line afterwards, he had some that came after him because of his sin. And then fifthly, endure the harshness of authorities. Sometimes we don't think of this as being God working in our life. We who have been entrusted with the care of other people ought to always be kind. But we all know there are people who are in leadership that are not always kind. Amen? In reality, that's not always the case. Even though those authorities abuse their power, we'll be benefited to recognize that God works through those authorities and God sometimes will use those authorities to create in me a broken and a contrite spirit. Look with me, if you will, at the book of Lamentations, right after the book of of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Lamentations. Look at Lamentations chapter 3. And look at verse 27. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 27. Are you with me? You got it? All right, look at verse 27. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. If so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. He said, yes, sometimes God has to cause grief. Sometimes he has to cause us to go through the reproach of maybe authorities, maybe a boss on the job, maybe some other authority. We're going through some reproaches with the authorities national that we have in our our country. 
And God says sometimes he allows us to go through those things, but he said, don't forget, though he caused grief, though God causes grief, yet he will have compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. We cry out to the Lord just as the nation did, and God has mercy upon us. Sometimes in our life, when we're going through struggles with authorities, whether it's young people with parents, whether it's the boss on the job, whether it's even an association fee or something that you're working with where you live, or whatever the authority, sometimes it seems like we approach things, we can stop and say, okay, Lord, is there something you're trying to do in me? Are you trying to cause me to have a broken and a contrite heart? Remember, all things work together for good to them that love God. To them are the called according to His purpose. Whatever's going on in my life, what is God doing? What is He trying to stir up in my life? What is He trying to do in my life? And the next, we're to live in the fear of God. If I want to have a broken and contrite heart, I must live in the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the constant awareness that God is watching and evaluating everything I think, everything I say, and everything I do. That's living in the fear of God. When I remember God's evaluating, He sees everything I think, everything I say, everything I do. It's knowing that He will give me a just reward for all that I do. God is watching me when I'm in church. He's watching me when I'm not in church, when I stay at home. He's watching me in the home, everything we do in the home. He's watching me at work. He's watching me at school. He's watching me in the neighborhood. He's watching when I'm whining. He's watching when I'm complaining. He's watching when I'm criticizing others. He's watching when I'm criticizing my husband or my wife or my parents or my boss. Now, I know none of you ever criticize anybody, but in case you ever do, don't forget God's watching. Amen. He hears. Based on this knowledge, we're instructed in Proverbs chapter 23 and verses 17 and 18, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. There'll be an end to all that you're going through, and God will bring it to, to, to the end. It came to pass, it will come to pass. Remember, God's watching. We live in the fear of the Lord. Not a fear that He's going to clobber us, but a reverential trust of a holy God that He's watching me, and one day I am going to stand before Him and give an account for my life. And then number seven, visit the house of mourning. Visit the house of mourning. Ecclesiastes 7, 4 says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. This is true because the way of the wicked and the consequences of their evil choices will cause the wise-hearted person to grieve. Sometimes we mourn over our sin. Sometimes we mourn over the sins of others as we talked about. Such mourning can literally result in a purpose for life. When I'm mourning over the sins of those around us, it motivates me to find out ways that I can help them and I can minister to them. I can help them to keep from reaping the consequences of continuing and going the wrong way. There's a significant passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 21. It says, Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. And verse 25 says, Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. The first type of weeping is a proper mourning over sin and over the consequences of sin. Later, there will be laughter, the laughter of victory and rejoicing over that victory. 
The second laugh is a silly, frivolous laugh that results in weeping and despair, weeping over the loss that comes. And then number eight, arrange for daily accountability. You want to have victory over sin in your life, over failure, over addictions. Have some daily accountability. We will never have a broken and a contrite heart without regular accountability to those who have the freedom to point out our blind spots in our life. We're instructed in Hebrews 3 verse 13 to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. God does not want us to be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So he says we exhort one another. We can encourage one another. We can point out to other people we're praying for them. And, and when they have failures, we, we go to our brother and we try to help them to get things right. But we go in a spirit of love and meekness, not in a spirit of pride that I'm better than you and I would never do what you did. Arrange for daily accountability. The Bible says the wounds of a friend are faithful. And then prepare for participation at the Lord's table. Prepare for participation at the Lord's table. If I'm going to have a broken and contrite heart, the communion table gives me a divine provision for that. In order to properly partake of the Lord's Supper, the Bible tells us, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. You see, when I come to the Lord's table, before I partake, I am to examine. The Bible says, let a man examine himself. I'm to ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to deal with before I partake? Because if I partake and I'm not willing to do your, what you're wanting me to do, I'm partaking unworthily. And you say, well, that, that, I might not know what it is. That's not what it's talking about. If you have something in your life you need to deal with, you already know about it. God's already been convicting. Remember the three C's? Convict and confess and chase. And He's already been convicted. If there's something in my life that I'm not willing to surrender and submit to the Lord, then He says, don't take of the Lord's Supper, because if you do, you're going to eat and drink unworthily. And he says, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, or many have died. In other words, he says, when you, don't, when you partake and you're not willing to deal with that sin that God's been dealing with you, then God will use chastening in your life. He'll use sickness. He may even take your life if you're not willing to get it right. You persist in your disobedience. There comes a point when God says, okay, that's enough. If you won't mind me down here, I'll take you up here where I can keep an eye on you and make sure you do what's right. You don't lose your salvation, but you may lose your rewards when you stand before God. So partaking of the Lord's Supper is a wonderful time to have a broken and contrite heart to say, God, I want to obey you and partake. He said, drink ye all of it when he's talking about the cup. I want to obey you and do that, but I don't want something in my life that I'm not willing to surrender and get right to be the thing that will cause you to have to chasten me and bring discipline in my life. And then the last thing, and this is interesting and important, expect those you love and trust to turn against you. I've found through the years as a preacher, sometimes the people that I've invested the most in and done the most for have turned against me. That's so sad. That shouldn't be the case. But why does God allow that to happen? 
It's kind of like that King Uzziah thing. Sometimes God has to get some people out of the way so that we can see the Lord. And sometimes there are those that we've done the most for, and we've invested the most of our life, and God allows them to turn against us, and that old hard heart that we have can get broken and contrite. And we cry out to the Lord, don't we, when we get in that position. You see, God will use whatever's necessary to bring us to that point of a broken heart to say, God, I need you. I need your help. The farmer, when he plows the field, he used the disc and he uses the plow. But after a while, after plowing those fields year after year after year, the field gets what they call a plow pan. In other words, the plow only digs down this deep. But underneath it, it gets hard. And God says, sometimes we have to break up the fallow ground. Sometimes God has to bring some things in our life that will go down beneath that plow pan and break up that ground beneath in order for us to get our eyes on the Lord and turn to Him and cry out to Him. David said this in Psalm 41, 9. He said, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted which did eat in my, of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. David said, as my own familiar friend, in Psalm 55, 12, he says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him, but it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked unto the house of God in company. David said, my own friends. It wasn't my unexpected enemies. It was my own friends that God used. And in Psalm 55 and verse 17, he tells us the result of that. He says, evening and morning and noon will I cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Sometimes God brings that, us to that place in our life when our heart is broken and we just cry out, oh God, I need you. I can't make it without your help. And sometimes God brings even our own friends, even those who are the closest to us to turn against us in order to break our hard hearts and get us to look to him and trust him. Back in 1988, I got to thinking it was 35 years ago. Some of you aren't 35 years old yet. We had an assistant pastor in our church at the time that decided that he wanted to start his own church. And so he started having a secret meeting with some of the people in the church. And before long, he left and took a, a good portion, probably about a third of our church left. We were saving some money toward building, and they said, oh, you're going to have to spend all the building money. You're going to have to stop supporting all your missionaries, and eventually you're going to have to close the doors and, and shut down the church. They were coming after us. And you know, one of the men who left, he even came to me and he said, you know, he said, I'm leaving. He said, I know it's not God's will, but I'm leaving anyway. He said, I think God sent me here for this purpose. I guess he meant to be the spokesman for the ones that were leaving. And in two years, that man who was a weightlifter, a specimen of health, in two years died of cancer. 
When he found out he had cancer, he told the people that left, he said, don't tell Brother Tim that I got cancer because if you tell him, he'll think God's judging me. And I thought, wonder why he thought that. But you know what? God used that. Our hearts were broken. But God used that to cause us to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord strengthened us and the Lord strengthened our church. And God used those times to cause us to look to Him and trust Him and turn to Him. And that's what God will do in our lives. He'll bring things in our lives. Sometimes your closest friends, sometimes people that you love, sometimes your own family members. But God will use it to cause you to cry out to Him and turn to Him. And He'll give strength and He'll give you your help, His help. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry unto thee. Cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. In conclusion, let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, would those who know you best say that your heart is somewhat hard? Do the people around you that know you best, would they say that your heart is hard? Secondly, and this is a hard one. Have you asked God for a contrite and broken heart? You know, we don't want to go through that, but do we ask God, Lord, break my heart. Give me that con contrite heart where I see myself as I really am and see God as He really is, and I cry out to Him. Thirdly, what chastening experience has God brought in your life? as you've pushed back against the Lord and not willing to confess, has God had to chasten you? Is there any chastening going on right now? Do you need to come to the Lord and say, God, forgive me, I need to get this right? How do you prepare yourself for communion? Do you examine your heart? Do you make sure there's no unconfessed sin that you need to deal with? And finally, what experiences has God allowed that have broken your heart? Anything happened in your life recently? The last five years, ten years? Has God broken your, broke, brought you to that place of brokenness? I remember a preacher. We were in a, in a meeting in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I hate to, to say this because it will cause some people to have a spiritual fit this morning and hallelujah fit, but we were in the Thompson Bowling Arena in Tennessee. Forgive me for mentioning that in church, but... There was probably five to 7,000 people there. The preacher was preaching. You know what he's preaching on? He's preaching on brokenness. He was almost finished with his service. And while he's standing there preaching, just like that, he had a heart attack and dropped and died while he was preaching. He was still talking when his body bounced off of the platform and he was dead. We had people there that were, there were doctors and so forth in the audience. They had these rails and curtain-like things, and there were several doctors in the audience went running, jumped over, and came up. They, later they said he was already gone before he ever hit the ground. The man in charge simply asked everybody to get on their knees and pray, which we did. They called his wife, and he was an older gentleman up in years, and you know what his wife said? She said, well, did he finish his sermon? And they said, yes, he finished his sermon. He finished his sermon. 
and God took him home. I don't know what God will do in your life. You know, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, I, I'm okay. It's, he's, that's not talking about me. God knows our heart. He knows what we need. He knows how to break up that fallow ground beneath the plow pan. Sometimes he'll use the people that are closest to us to break us so that we cry out to him and turn to him. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, as we think about this broken and contrite heart, Lord, you know how hard-hearted we can get. You know how hard-hearted we may be this morning. You know if there's things that we've been pushing back and arguing with you about and not willing to surrender. and You know what's going on in our mind and our heart. Would you help us today? There's the conviction already on somebody's life here this morning. Would you help them to confess and deal with it and not have to face the chastening? There may be some folks here today that are already going through the chastening. Would you help them to listen, to come, and to cry out to you? Make things right. So that we can have your blessings on us. You don't chasten us to hurt us or harm us in any way. You chasten us because you love us. And you want to bless us. And we're missing out on all that you have for us. And as our Heavenly Father and we, your children, you want the best for us. Would you help us this morning just to surrender our heart and our life to you and deal with the issues in our life. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name.